Amen. Thank you so much, worship band, for leading us so well this morning and guiding us, preparing our hearts as we find God's grace and love as we gather together this morning. Let me offer a prayer. Gracious God, we thank you that you are present with us by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's not by mistake or accident that we are here this morning. We are here by your call. You have something to tell us, to speak to us, to comfort us, to challenge us, to awaken us to your mercy in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together are glorifying unto you, O Lord, our rock and our salvation. And all God's people said, amen. It is so good to see you all this morning as we gather together. And you, for those of you online with us, we're so glad that you're here. On uh, Friday night, I was able to go to a baseball game. Baseball happens to be the only sport that will be in heaven, just to let you know. Um, and we were at the Angel Stadium with a youth group. It was so much fun. Caleb's running around. We're, we're having a blast. And the, actually, the game was pretty good. I don't know if you watched it on Friday night, if you were there, maybe. Uh, there was, it, we got ahead three uh, runs, and we're excited. And then, oh, the Mariners, they got three runs. And then, so now we're nervous a little bit. And then we got another run or two runs. I can't remember the final score. But we were ahead in the ninth inning. And we were on, we're just kind of standing up. We're on pins and needles because this is an important game. We had great players Saw some home runs from our star players, and at the ninth inning, and it was getting late, and I looked at Sharon, and I said, if the other team, if the Mariners score a run and, and tie this again, we're leaving, because I'm not going to stay around any longer than this. This is getting late, um, but thankfully, they struck them out, and we won the game, and we were, everybody was, kids were jumping up, and we're filled with joy. It was great ex- excitement. And we went out to the parking lot, went to our cars, and went home. We had joy at the game. I guarantee it. But the type of joy that we had at the game is not necessarily the type of joy that we've been exploring together in our series of messages, our life together, in joy, our joyfully living together. Um, it's a little bit different. The joy that Paul describes in The letter to the first century church in Philippi, the joy that he's using, the joy that he describes is a durable joy, a deep joy, a joy that just is not fleeting because your team wins. Because I don't think they had too much joy last night because they lost, right? The durable joy is what the apostle Paul is talking about as he writes to the first century church in Philippi. And the passage that we're going to enter into this morning in this letter that he's writing, we witness how Paul persists in finding reasons to rejoice despite his physical absence from the church. He so desires to be with them in person. You know, I was thinking about that this week, being together in person, and I think we can all relate in some way (laughs) Through these last handful of years when in the, the depths of this pandemic that we all went through and, the, and when we were all in lockdown and we couldn't be together, we couldn't be in person with one another. And the times, it, it brought us some real sorrow. I remember one Thanksgiving, we thought we were going to be able to spend time with extended family. We were all taking precautions and being safe and then 
somebody got exposed, and then we couldn't, and we, just to be safe for everybody and the children we had, couldn't be together and carve the turf. It was kind of, it was a bummer. It was sorrow. And I think maybe that's what Paul is experiencing here as he writes to the first century church. He becomes very transparent, almost vulnerable about what's going on in his life and how important they are to him. And so, as time has passed, Paul expresses his, that his chances of returning to be with them is growing slim. And throughout the letter, he speaks honestly and with some vulnerability, recognizing his, and recognizing we see a true humanity. Paul is a real person. He pays tribute to them and his love that he shares for them in the midst of his imprisonment. Their partnership is even deepened, even though he can't be with them. They're partners in his imprisonment, he says. They've supported each other through both the joyful times and the sorrowful times, remaining hopeful in the face of challenges. So in this passage, we discover how Paul is managing this, how Paul's anchored his joy, his rejoicing, is anchored in this trust, in this partnership, in their faith. So as Paul realizes that his return is delayed, he recognizes this, and he makes some leadership decisions, and he sends two people back to Philippi from who had come to help him out where he was imprisoned. We're not sure exactly where he's imprisoned. Some think it was Rome. Others believe it was in Ephesus. But we're introduced to two people. The first one is Timothy. Now, Timothy was at the very beginning of the letter. He says, I, Paul, greet you, along with Timothy. Timothy is one of Paul's associates that went with him and traveled with him and planted churches with him, trusted colleague. We have two letters that were written to Timothy by the Apostle Paul in our New Testament. We know that Timothy is young because of that famous passage of Scripture, let no one despise you of your youth, Timothy. We all write that in the beginning of, a, of the Bibles that we hand out to our, our young people. Let no one despise you of your youth but set for the believers an example in speech and conduct, love and purity. And the second person that we're introduced to is a cool name. And I'm thinking you might want to, if you're thinking about naming a child, you know, or, you know, grandparents, you might want to suggest this to your, if they're about to have kids. His name is Epaphroditus. Well, that's a good name. That's a strong name. Epaphroditus is from Philippi. He grew up in Philippi. And he was sent by the church to help Paul while he's in prison. Here's how the passage of Scripture unfolds in our lesson this morning. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. You can follow along in your own personal Bible or on the screen. There's also a handout in the, in the bulletin. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that he is a son, that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. 
Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. But by your messenger, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all, and he was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The communication lines between the first century church in Philippi and, and where Paul is in prison seem to be quite fluid. Uh, sending messages back and forth, sending individuals back and forth, hearing reports of how the church is doing. Paul is sending messages back to them, letting them know how he's doing. And the passage lays out the situation. Paul is in prison, facing trial, perhaps even execution. Because of his imprisonment, he's not able to be with them. He can't come and, and resume his ministry with them as he normally would do with other congregations. So Paul plans to send his trusted associate, Timothy. But Timothy can't leave right away because Paul is still under trial. And he wants to get the final, once the gavel hits the, the courtroom and there's a sentence, then he'll send Timothy. Maybe with good news that he'll be freed, or maybe a longer sentence, or who knows, or maybe worse, his death. Timothy will come for a period of time, but then he is also to go back to where Paul is. In the meantime, Epaphroditus is sent back immediately to Philippi. The church initially sent him to minister to Paul, but while working with Paul, he becomes gravely ill. The church hears about it and becomes worried, so then Paul says, I better send this guy home because they're worried about him. And then I don't want sorrow upon sorrow. With all this back and forth communication, I, I wondered what it was like, or what it would have been like if they had text messaging. What would they have done? So here I, I tried to imagine, imagine it with me. So someone from, with knowledge of Paul's imprisonment sends a text message to the church in Philippi. Paul is in prison. Hang on, Epaphroditus is on the way. And then Paul, once Epaphroditus comes, says, great, thank you, love you. I should have put LOL there probably, huh? That would have been better. And then Paul says, sadly, Epaphroditus has become ill. Oh, no, we're very anxious and worried. I know you are, so I'm sending him back. And by the way, I'll be sending Timothy as well, 
as soon as he is more, has more information about what will happen to me, after he gives you a report, send him back to me so I can rejoice with you. Thank you. That's pretty cool. What if they had text messaging back then? That's what it would have been like. You know, from this passage, there's a handful of things that come to the surface that I think is important for us to reflect on, specifically when we think about joy and the durability of joy, and the extravagance of joy that is coming through this passage. The first thing I think that this joy does and that Paul's experiencing is that he is able to be honest and transparent with the church and what's going on with him. Paul acknowledges that he's experiencing sorrow. That phrase, sorrow upon sorrow, stuck with me all week. Sorrow upon sorrow. You know, when, if you're connected with a, a congregation and a church family, if you have a life group, if you're in Bible studies, if you've been around the block a few times, we've all experienced sorrow upon sorrow in our lives. Um, maybe you're not experiencing it now, but maybe there's somebody in your life that is experiencing a sorrow upon sorrow. I have a good friend who Asked me this week, he says, Pastor John, I have to visit with a, a good colleague of mine at work who's going through some very difficult things. And I don't know if I have the words to share. I don't know what to say. And so we prayed, and we prayed for the Holy Spirit to give him guidance in, in the conversation that he would have with this individual that is going through sorrow upon sorrow. We may carry sorrow of others in our lives, those who are facing insurmountable difficulties in their lives. Things that are falling apart, career choices, uncertainties, health concerns, sorrow upon sorrow. Paul's frustrated. He can't be back with them. His colleague, Epaphroditus, is almost so ill that he almost dies and then he becomes well. And Paul says, I can't handle this. You've got to go back. I don't want sorrow upon sorrow. The real human side of Paul is coming out. He shares his heart, and he asks the church to partner with him in his sorrow. And yet, as we have learned, the Apostle Paul has reminded us, and he says, rejoice again, I say rejoice. Why? The Lord is near. It's an important phrase that he says later in the letter. Rejoice, again I say rejoice, why? Because the Lord is near. And the Lord is near to you and me in our sorrow upon sorrow. Paul believes that. We are convinced of that. Karl Barth, the famous theologian, he said this, the, the joy or the rejoicing that the apostle Paul talks about in the letter to the Philippians is the a grand nevertheless comes to a full stop. Nevertheless, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. Paul might say that. Even though I'm filled with sorrow upon sorrow, I will rejoice. The joy of the Lord is my strength, he would say. And once again, as we saw last week, joy becomes serious business for the Apostle Paul. It's the serious business of heaven, as we have learned, as we explored, and also, according to the book of Revelation, 
It is the main business of heaven. And as our confession calls us, the Westminster Confession asserts that joy is the point of our life. You and I are here for no better purpose than to glorify God and what? Enjoy Him forever. When the angels are out proclaiming the good news and the heavens announced to the shepherds who are working the late night shift, I bring good news, wonderful, joyous news for all the people. Your Savior is born today. Jesus, after washing the disciples' feet and sharing a meal together on the night that he'd be betrayed, handed over, arrested, tried, beaten, hung on a cross, crucified, dead, and buried, and rose again on the third day. That night before all this was going to happen, he says to his disciples, I have taught you all these things. That you might have my joy. And my joy will be in you, that your joy may be complete. That's durable joy. That's the full stop. Nevertheless, that Paul is experiencing, yes, this battling the sorrow upon sorrow, as he knows the first century church would experience. And we can only imagine that he probably imagined that Christians who followed him, believers who followed him, we would experience sorrow upon sorrow in our lives. But rather than wallow in it, rather than allow that to sap his joy and to keep him from experiencing and rejoicing in God, he finds this durable joy and strengthens his faith and shores up his resolve, so he highlights a couple things that he focuses on. And the passage highlights them for us. And it comes when he talks about his partners in ministry. There's a team-oriented nature, this collaborative nature that they have together. Paul's ministry, he sends Timothy and Epaphroditus to fulfill specific roles and express his trust and confidence in their abilities. Receive Epaphroditus with joy. He's a trusted colleague. This underscores the importance of working together, utilizing unique gifts and talents within the church, advancing the common goal of the ministry, and spreading the good news. Where are the opportunities for you to collaborate and partner in ministry? According to Paul, that's where you'll find joy. When you partner in ministry with others, I think of all the joy that our team that is helping our Afghan family, refugee family. And when they talk about their work together, it's just always filled with joy. We got this for them, and then we did this, and they learned how to do this. They're learning this. They got this new job. It's always constantly joy, 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 coming out of their mouths when they talk about because they're in partnership in ministry and extending and sharing their giftedness in a unique and powerful way. That's what Paul's talking about. Maybe through... For you, it might be through your life group as you care for one another in mission work, your service with others, your leadership here at the church. And Paul would say this, in your collaboration and your partnership in ministry, you find joy there, but it's also a cause for celebration. It's a cause for celebration. Paul rejoices in the progress of the growth of Timothy, his partner, Epaphroditus, and the Philippian church. 
he expresses his desire to send Timothy to be with them soon. This demonstrates this joy of celebration that comes from a witnessing of God's transformation in a people, in a group, in the lives of other believers. We see that transformation, we see the growth, where we see God at work. We have lots to celebrate as a congregation over these last handful of years. Your dedicated staff and committed leaders and your love and care and your sharing of your resources has been able, allowing us to have joy in all sorts of areas in the life of our congregation. Transforming lives and inviting people into an active relationship with Jesus Christ. Our congregation is a solid mission foundation, inspires our shared journey. And result of this, some of the things that have happened in these last couple of years, I, I was thinking about them, and I listed them. And I thought, oh, I'm going to share it with the church. Why not? You know, this last handful of years, we, established, we built and established a preschool. I, I know you've heard me say this over and over again, but it's no small potatoes, friends. And the people's lives that are being changed through this is amazing. I walk by there on a daily basis, and man, it's amazing. These kids, they're all yelling, Pastor John, Pastor John. There's 30 of them yelling at me. I'm like, hey, calm down. I'm just a pastor. Relax. We've raised over $400,000 to complete this construction of our remaining buildings, gathering spaces, ministry areas, kitchen facilities, ample common areas for us to gather and worship, office space. We secured a $200,000 loan from our state to help us secure our campus. Not only secure it, but also make it welcoming and sense of belonging built so that we can protect and guide and care for our young people. We upgraded the sanctuary sound system. You know, there was a year, a handful of years where people, if you sat in certain areas, if I was talking, you couldn't really understand what I was saying. Now you're nodding. You can understand what I'm saying over there? Okay, good. That's awesome. It's very expensive, and it's great, and it sounds good, and it helps our band sound good. We can improve our computer systems. We have an online ministry. Like I said, we've adopted the Afghan family, and our ministries, our missions throughout the world continue to flourish and grow and giving us opportunities to partner in areas of the world. You know, this last year, we welcomed some new elders of a younger generation, younger than me, I know. <laughs> and it's awesome. Their influence, their joy, and their insight, and their imagination and love for this congregation, it's great. We've added new deacons. Good things are happening, things to celebrate. We hired a full-time youth director to bridge the gap between our Pathfinder program and high school, junior high and high school. You know, one of the things the pandemic did was really put the brakes on youth ministries, all congregations. For some reason, it's kids have taken a Getting slow, coming back and getting engaged in fellowship and finding community and youth groups. And so we are investing into the future of our young people, investing, hiring a full-time youth director who's a kind of a goofy guy too, but we love him. Dear friends, think about your week. Think about the sorrow upon sorrows that you face or the ones that you face with people you love so deeply. And think about the words of Paul. 
and the durability of joy that he communicates that he reminds us that we have because of the mercy of God. He says that because of God's mercy, I have this joy, this durable joy. And he can write later, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Because why? The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be made known to all. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God and the God of peace, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And we respond to, and rejoice in giving. And so I invite the ushers forward. We're going to give now to support the ministries that God has called us to. And I'm going to pray for the offering. Thank you for your generosity, dear friends. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, the reminder of the durability of joy, even in the midst of sorrow upon sorrow, and how we can find joy in our life together as we strive to serve you and love you and to share our unique giftedness that you have blessed us with. And we see the results in our community and through our congregation. We are thankful, God. And we are filled with gratitude, so we respond in gratitude and giving. May these gifts continue to strengthen the life of this congregation as we reach out into the community and world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.